0: hello faithful listeners welcome to the kingdom podcast i hope you're listening with both ears today as i'll be talking about what's in it for you the it is the kingdom of god why in the world would a perfectly normal and good person like yourself be interested in getting involved with the kingdom of god Besides, you're not a religious person, you're not looking to be a religious person, you just want to be a normal person who achieves some kind of success in this world and gives back to people, does good things, and and is known for doing good things, and that's about it, right? Well, trust me, neither this podcast nor the kingdom of God uh, has any interest in you becoming a religious person. On the contrary the kingdom of God is all about getting every good thing God has for you. So God has a plan to pour out his goodness to you. And the plan is called your future. (laughs) Say amen, Mr. Podcaster. He has a future in line for you. And if you stick around for the remainder of this podcast, you'll truly learn more about what's in it for you. Hey, so let's dive in. This podcast, again, is What's In It For You. And this is all about you breaking through your own limited understanding about how great you can truly be in this world and how the kingdom of God can help you become what you were always purposed to be. In fact, in the kingdom, it's already been ordained that you be great. Now, this may sound a little religious when I say this, but God has a blueprint of the best version of you and he's interested in you achieving all of it. And his mechanism for you achieving it is you being a part of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, that may sound religious, but it's not. Probably most of the people who've talked to you about Jesus, right, have been religious people. They've been those people who were wrapped up in the rigmarole of church. And I'm not saying church is bad. I'm just saying sometimes people are more interested in the rigmarole of church that they never got to know Jesus and they never got out in the world and accomplished their purpose. They just kind of became church people. And that's what religion will do. But Jesus, you know, is the guy who made you. That's not religion. It's just who he is. He's the one that thought about you before you were born. He has the best possible life for you laid out. And if you follow his plan, you'll find that none of it has to do with you sitting, you know, the rest of your life on a dusty church pew. That's not what it's about. And in this podcast, I want to motivate you to get interested in the kingdom of God. So if you're listening to this, chances are you're American. Right? You may not be, but most of you probably American, and Americans are rugged individualists. We in America, we're interested in what's going to be better for us. What's better for me? What's going to bring me more success? What's going to bring me, um, you know, funds and access to help other people? That's what we're interested in, and this podcast is going to help you achieve success. And, and that's based on the premise that anyone who enters the kingdom of God gains success. The success you gain in the kingdom is by degree. It's all based on what degree you enter into the kingdom. So if you, if you really go into the kingdom, if you really get involved in the kingdom, you are guaranteed to have more success. But being in the kingdom at all guarantees you more success than if you stay outside of the kingdom. Being a part of the kingdom... Uh, is is work. Uh, But it does bring success. It brings you success because you have certain guarantees as an agent, or I could say a member of the kingdom of God on earth. Now, before I get into some of those guarantees and some of those benefits, let me explain what it means to be an agent of the kingdom on earth. So heaven is a real place and it is full of the goodness of God. Now, how can I explain this? People who are agents of the kingdom, if if I could put it in in a marketing term, they would be people who are Jesus's brand ambassadors on earth. If I could put it in a business term, it would be people who are running the franchise of heaven on earth. We're like like satellites of what's going on uh, in heaven. If I can put it in government terms, I guess I'd say it's people who live according to the laws of heaven while living on earth. Now, how do you get to become an agent of the kingdom? That happens when you first accept the Lord Jesus, who is the Lord of the kingdom, into your life, all right? You have to agree with the king to be a part of the kingdom, and Jesus Christ is the king. So you come into agreement with the truth that Jesus is the king. Actually, he's the king of all. And he truly died on the cross and was resurrected after three days. He did that to qualify all of us to be heaven citizens. What was the disqualifying factor? Why did we need Jesus? It was our own sin because heaven essentially is a holy and sinless place. We needed the blood of Jesus to cover us to even become qualified to be a part of the kingdom. So if you come into agreement with that, then the blood of Jesus qualifies you to be an agent or a member of the kingdom, and it comes with certain benefits. Namely, it comes with these two benefits that I want to talk about. It comes with a hope, and it comes with a future. When you join the kingdom of God, God guarantees you a hope and a future. Let me read to you a scripture, a famous scripture, Jeremiah 29 and 11. It says, For I know the plans and thoughts I have for you, says the Lord. The plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster to give you a hope and a future so god's plans are for you to live in peace to have a great well-being to have a great quality of life in the kingdom but that end of that scripture says is to give you a hope and a future now In the world we find ourselves in every day, but especially today, we see that there is a lot of pain, despair, calamity, disease, addiction, and all of those things are on the increase as people lose hope you will probably agree with me that this is a time that many people are losing heart and losing hope. And so the most important thing that you need stable in your life right now so that you don't go into despair, calamity, addiction, depression is a solid hope. Hope is your shelter when everything is being shaken. Something that guarantees everything is going to be okay. That is your hope. The best hope you can have is a hope in Christ. So we're in a time right now when everything is starting to be unstabilized. The economy is unstable. Some of our lives and jobs are unstable. Relationships have been unstable. Connections to people have been unstable. Even some people's health, retirement, life, finances, relationships are becoming more and more unstable. And even some hobbies and interests that you may have unstable. I even think about some people who who really have the church uh, as their crutch in their life. And now they can't go physically to church. So that crutch is now unstable. But for those who have the hope in Jesus that Jesus has promised never to leave them or forsake them, they have a peace despite those things becoming unstable. When my health is shaken, when my job security is shaken, when my finances are shaken, when my marriage is shaken, when when friendships are shaken, when any of that stuff is shaken, I still have peace, a hope, and a future because it lies, not in those temporary things, but it actually lies in Jesus. That hope Is Jesus. My hope is Jesus. And He is always with me and will never forsake me. And if He is your hope, the same will be true of you. He'll never leave you, He'll never forsake you. He becomes more and more real in your life the more you focus on Him. And it's not the case that Jesus, you know, can become more real. Uh, He is more real than anything that exists. He even is real outside of existence and inside of existence. But what I mean is that he can be uh, more real to you as you focus on him. How does that look? You actually turn your face towards Jesus you turn, maybe face is not the right word, hearts, turn your heart towards Jesus. Repent of anything in your life that has distracted you, any sin, any immoral behavior that has distracted you from knowing Jesus more. And as you turn to him, he starts to show up in your life in some interesting ways. Now he was always there, but when you turn your heart towards him, you start to get more of his presence in your life. And I'm a witness of that. Just to shortly tell you my story, I remember about four and a half years ago, and I've been a Christian for a long time, but you can be a Christian going to church every day and not really have a relationship with Jesus. That's probably the case for a lot of people. But about four and a half years ago, I began to get up in the morning and intentionally pray for five minutes. It's not a big commitment, but God would meet me in those five minutes. I would notice that certain things encouraging statements songs would come into my mind even in that 5 minutes and because of the grace that I had in that 5 minutes I would have a better 24 hours that entire day would be blessed because of that 5 minutes so of course as a as a businessman as a as a calculating person I increased that five minutes to 10 minutes, and I began to spend more time with the Lord every morning. I was intentional, dedicated time. That 10 went to 15, went to 30. Uh, most days now, it's either an hour or two hours, but what I'm doing in that time is literally spending time with Jesus. I probably don't even talk for about a third of the time. i literally train my ear to listen to what Jesus is saying, and when you do that, when you're intentional about knowing Jesus he shows up. Let me give you a principle, a kingdom principle. You cannot be in the presence of Jesus and not know he's there. He 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 finds a way, a personal connection with you to let you know he is present. And so you can be in the presence of Jesus. But if you are in the secret place with him, he lets you know he's there. And so that is what actually has built my hope. No matter what's going on, I know I can run to him. I can go to Jesus. I can turn my face to him and know that he's there. He shows up in a way that I know it's him. And there's no way to be in his presence and not truly know he is there unless you're just really missing something. Colossians 127, another really great scripture that tells us what our hope is in. It says, living with Christ in you, living within you is Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people and God wants everyone to know it. What is embedded inside of me is this heavenly treasure that I call hope, and that hope is filled with the riches of the glory of God's people, and and that God wants everyone to know it. This is the hope that I have, and it lives on the inside of me, so no matter what happens with my bank account, it doesn't touch, affect, or even impact at all the hope that is inside of me. And that's because Jesus is the king of the kingdom and he's the prince of peace. I I am supplied with every need by the prince of peace. And I may happen to lose something temporarily, but then it comes back to me uh, because everything I need is in Christ. Now, there are times and seasons, and many of us are in the season right now, where Like I said, things are being shaken, unstabilized. Some of the things are dwindling that you've built up. Some things are rotting out right in front of you. But even when that happens in these evil days, it's important to be able to refocus on what God is doing on the inside of you. Here's another kingdom principle. When your material wealth is diminishing, God is building you up in the spirit. Never get worried if you're now. This is for people in the kingdom. If you're in the kingdom, when material things are dis- diminishing, your spiritual wealth is always increasing. That's the way it works. Let's look at this interesting contrast in Isaiah chapter sixty, verses one through four. It says, "Arise," and this is, by the way, this is uh, the the Passion Translation is what I've been reading out of. It says, "Rise up in splendor and be radiant." For your light has dawned, and Yahweh's glory, or God's glory, now streams from you. Look carefully darkness blankets the earth, and thick bloom covers the nations, but Yahweh, God, arises upon you and the brightness of his glory appears over you. Nations will be attracted to your radiant light and kings to the sunshine glory of your new day. Lift up your eyes higher. Look all around you and believe. This scripture is a perfect example of what, of the principle I just laid out. When the material things in this world are being covered by darkness, this scripture is asking us to lift our eyes a little higher and look around us because the glory of God is actually shining through you. When the world gets darker, the light inside of the Christian believer gets brighter. The hope gets brighter. The peace gets greater. It's so true. Like I've never, uh, it's so hard to explain uh, but but even when, even when my wife and I were going through a time when we watched our daughter, Rory, die right in front of us, that we had a hope in us, that we prayed over her dead body. She came back to life. And over the course of 40 days, she was in intensive care, in the NICU. She was only a week and a half old. This was between uh, November 30th, 2015 to January 10th. 2016 and so during that time people that we knew family friends church people were coming to the hospital to comfort us encourage us and it was interesting because we had already had a a great hope in the Lord that they would leave us more encouraged just from the conversation with us they came to encourage us but they left with our peace They they left with an increased measure of our joy, our peace that came from the Christ in us, who is the hope of glory. And so even when darkness was uh, seemingly ruling over our situation with our daughter dead and then back alive and then in intensive care, there was such a, a, a great radiant light dawning from inside of us because of the hope in Christ. You can't beat that. You can't teach that. You can't buy that. You can't uh, co-opt that. It has to be Christ in you, and that starts with the kingdom. I felt God so strongly even in that hospital room, because He was radiating from inside of me. We were going and praying for other children that were in the NICU. We weren't so worried about Rory. I was seeing visions and dreams that she would be okay, and that, and I, and I believed it. and she is okay. She's four years old now. And she's doing great. So when people say they need more money or want more money, when, when they, when they um, are, are uh, saving up for a rainy day, when they are going to marriage counseling, it's to make their marriage more stabilized. When they're saving, it's to make their money more stable. When they're spending time with their children or getting them tutoring or training them in education, it's so that their children will be stable. When they're going to the doctor, it's so that they will have better health, that their health will be stable. People do most things that they do to stabilize the different areas and compartments of their life. They don't want to be out here looking crazy, living in a topsy-turvy life that's dysfunctional and they don't have any control over anything. Money acting crazy, marriage all up the walls, children being crazy, health up and down. They don't want that. So people do the things they do to get stability in their life. But here's the question. What happens when that way of stabilizing your life ends? What happens when, when things start to deteriorate and it is out of your control? When that happens, you're going to need some higher level of stability to access. You're going to need to have some underlying foundational structure that stabilizes you when nothing else you can do is stabilizing you. When all of a sudden the bank account isn't working. When all of a sudden you can't make your marriage partner love you more. When all of a sudden the children have decided to be strong-willed and go their own way and your health is out of control. When these things become unstable, you have the potential then to to lose hope and despair unless you have something that is underlying and foundationally stable in your life. And what that is, the only thing that can live in that area is Jesus, the hope in Christ. Here is why. Listen, I'm more stable... Than the richest person in the world who doesn't have faith in Jesus and is not a part of the kingdom. Because no matter what deteriorates in my natural life, I have a hope in me that I know that when those natural things are deteriorating, the spirit life in me is growing. From glory to glory, it's growing, it's going higher, it's expanding, it's radiating brighter. Somehow, I'm transforming into a better version of me, despite the fact these things that I cannot control are becoming even more uncontrollable. That is the hope that when the material things diminish, the Christ in me grows. Let me give an example. Let's say we have person A who is saving for retirement, but that person is not a believer. And then you got person B, also saving for retirement, the same amount of money, but that person is a believer in Christ and a member of the kingdom of God. Now, let's say at the same time, both person A and person B lose everything in their retirement. They lose everything. Person A is going to have to figure out how to still have hope when everything is gone and misery has set in. But person B has a blessed assurance that despite the fact they lost their retirement, and despite the fact that that may bring on some harsh realities, they have not lost everything. They know the kingdom principle that if you lose your life on earth, you gain more of a life in heaven. If you lose your life on earth, you gain more in the kingdom, especially if you lose it for Jesus. Here's the kingdom principle. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 30, 31 through 34, so then forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? Can I add something here? What am I going to do having lost retirement? Verse 32, for that is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly father already know these things that your body requires? So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with the challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. I want to go back to something that says, then all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. The kingdom principle is what I lose, I will will gain back more abundantly. So why should I ever worry? In the kingdom, it's illegal to worry because the promise of God is that if you put your trust in him, The kingdom will pay you back what you've lost abundantly. I have been a witness to this scripture. I have lost it all and gained it all back abundantly. I have had times when I've lost my job, but I gained another job and it was better, more lucrative and a better level of success than what I lost. And the one I lost, I lost unfairly, but my hope was in Jesus and I got it back. I have lost my home. I have been homeless. I was homeless for seven months, but then I got it back. I got to live for free <laughs> after I, I, I moved out of homelessness and ended up moving in with a friend, and and that was uh, an amazing experience. And then I moved on to a college campus, and and it just turned it just turned into such a blessing. Uh, more I can say on that. I want to go into the full story maybe another time. Uh, But what I lost, I gained so much more. I gained so much more. I was homeless when I applied to the college I graduated from. I was a homeless dude, and I applied to Illinois Wesleyan University. And uh, while homeless, I actually got to tour the campus. And the person who was the Multicultural Director of Student Affairs at the time, she took such an interest in me that she let me stay on campus for free for three days. And that led to me becoming a student and so on and so on. And I didn't even think I could get into the college. But that's just an example of the abundance God gives you. Never be afraid to lose when you're in the kingdom. I'm a witness of that. So if you believe in God, you will get everything that is good that God has for you. So I've talked about the hope, but let me also talk about the the future. Listen, the precise and prescriptive way in which God is optimizing his goodness being poured out to you over the course of your life and throughout your eternal life is the plan God has for you. God's plan to pour out his goodness to you is called your future. God's plan to pour out his goodness to you. You know what that plan is called? Is called your future. It is God's precise and prescriptive way that he's optimizing his goodness being poured out to you. Somebody say, Amen, Mr. Podcaster. Amen. God's future for you is his technical plans to pour out the greatest amount of goodness he can to you. And trust me, it's pretty great. God makes sure that the gifts that he has stored up for you in heaven that you get them. The gifts that he has stored inside of you, that you manifest them, that they come to fruition. If you were made to be one of the great basketball players of the the world, it doesn't matter if you were born dirt poor. God is going to find a coach to come and connect with you in your life. Maybe you're eight years old and you connect with this coach and that develops your skills and you go to the right college and the coach there has a certain favor for you. God staffs your life with favor, as long as you put your trust in him. And I'll tell you something good about God. He does these kind of things, even for people who are not in his kingdom and who do not believe in Jesus. But he he is able, yes, I said able, he is able to optimize his favor on your life when you believe in Jesus and when you become a member of the kingdom. God makes sure that the gifts that he put into you don't return to him empty, but they return to him as a testimony of the great things you did on this earth. He wants nothing more to expose the gifts that you have inside of you to the world as long as you stay humble and stay under the shadow of his wings. And I'll talk about the shadow of his wings more in a future podcast, but just know that the only way your gift inside of you doesn't come out to this world is that the world system deceives you into keeping it under wraps. And that's what's happening for many young people. They have great gifts inside of them, but the world has tricked them into becoming uh, almost a lesser version of what they're supposed to be. But God's blueprint for their life is optimal for what they're supposed to be. Hopefully, This has gotten you more interested in why you, as a perfectly normal and good person, should be interested in the kingdom. It's because God has a hope and a future for you that cannot be shaken, it cannot be unstabilized, and it will optimize the best version of you in this world. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this first podcast of the Kingdom Podcast, faithful listeners, and I hope to see you back here the next time. Hello, faithful listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Kingdom Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about why I'm a Christian. And I think when I finish this podcast, you're going to see how it makes so much sense. Let me start with this disclaimer. And, and probably contrary to popular belief, I'm not a Christian uh, to feel good about myself, to avoid hell, or as any kind of a mental, moral, or emotional crutch. I almost never think about those things. I mean, I, it just doesn't factor into any of my decisions about spirituality, uh, especially hell. Uh, it's just not, it's a non-factor. Um, and so I think that might come as a surprise to most people, but I want to dive in uh, to why I'm a Christian. And I think it is um, an example of why many people who really do have a relationship with God are Christians. Um, I think what you hear from me is going to pretty much be similar to what you hear from a lot of people who have a real relationship with God. I think you might hear something different from folks who either... uh, Became Christians because of a family connection, maybe parents, or maybe um, the feeling they got at church was that it's something that they had to do, or they, you know, would experience eternal punishment. And uh, I'm not saying that those things, that I'm not saying hell is not real. I'm just saying it's a non factor. Um, once you begin to get to know God and how good God is and, and how much He loves you. And how much He's for you that other stuff just it really washes away and so I hope you'll stick around I hope you're listening with both ears as we jump into this next uh, episode of the Kingdom Podcast Why I'm a Christian so glad to have you here I am a Christian because I guess if I could put it simply God is so good to me. Now, God is a spirit. And in order to get to know God, you've got to get to know him. It's not something you can't mentally assent to um, an understanding of God. And what I mean by that is you can't figure God out in your mind. It's, It's not a calculation that I made to say like, okay, if I you know, it's like a recipe. If I have this amount of God in my life and this amount of sin in my life and, and this amount of um, good relations with friends and this amount of money, then, you know, that, that all mixes up into a recipe for a good life. It's it's not like that at all. God is not, God being a part of my life is not uh, a part of a calculation like that for me. And and God set it up in this way. He set it up where you have to approach by faith in Jesus Christ. You actually have to, I mean, I'm a very scientific person. I actually started college as a chemistry major. I, I, I left college as a political science um, major with a concentration in philosophy. So I'm a thinker. People who know me know that I am a, pretty much a an ideator, a strategist, a critical thinker. That's just part of my makeup. I'm not saying I'm the best or the worst. It's just part of my makeup um I tend to be a logical thinking person about things. Um, and uh, I wouldn't even say I'm more of, of a pathos kind of dude than, a, than an ethos. I'm more of a, a logic than an emotional type of person. But when it came when it comes to God, it has everything to do with my heart for him. That scripture is not missing the moment when it says, And I'm quoting from John chapter four, when Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, he says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This scripture is not missing the moment. You know, Jesus puts uh, a definition for the nature of God right next to this concept of worship. And most people would probably approach that like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I am just trying to learn about like what God is, (laughs) you know, what is God and here you jump from God to the Spirit to, to right into they that worship him. Okay. So Jesus, you're making an assumption. You're making an assumption that knowing God leads to worshiping him. And whoa, that's just like really slow it down there, guy. You know, that's really aggressive to go from me. Here's how you know God and here's how you worship him. Like, what how presumptuous is that, Jesus? You know? But it's because it's because Jesus Loves his father so much and he's so like he's so and I'm not not saying he was I'm saying he is so in love and so in the love of his father I would say this and Jesus knows this and and anyone who has a relationship with God through Jesus knows this and they have this same feeling about Jesus too because they're one Jesus is the son of God but if you get to know them here's what you begin to know to know God is to love him. (laughs) And to love him is to worship him. To know Jesus is literally to love him. And to love him is to worship him. It is the most unnatural thing in the world. And I'm not going to qualify that. I just want you to hear me say that as an absolute truth. It's the most unnatural thing in the world to get to know Jesus, but then To not start to love him or the things about him. As I begin on my journey to get to know Jesus, I grew up in a church. Heard a lot of preaching, a lot of sermons, a lot of prayers, a lot of Sunday school. But I can tell you like for a truth that on November 30th, which happens to be the same day my daughter was raised from the dead many years later. But I became a spirit-filled Christian on November the thirtieth, a Tuesday uh, night of nineteen—I believe it's nineteen ninety-two or nineteen ninety-three. I believe it was nineteen ninety. Let me think. Three, yeah, nineteen ninety-three. It was a Tuesday night prayer. I was um, I, my, my parents took me to church because it was Tuesday night prayer, and on this particular Tuesday night, I was. <laughs> they sat me on the front row because I guess I wasn't praying the right way. You know, sometimes you bring the kids closer when they're causing problems. I don't know. Can't remember what I was doing before that moment, but they brought me to the front row to pray on the front row, which is really aggressive. And I was annoyed. I was annoyed because the front row is right by all the missionary ladies who are praying hard and breathing and they pray and they don't really watch how spit flies out their mouth. So it's getting on you and it's just disgusting. I was annoyed. I was upset. I was upset. But in the midst of this prayer, this particular night, I closed my eyes and I literally began to see, not prompted, it wasn't like preached up, it wasn't um, thought up or taught or talked up, it was really random. Um, But I began to see a vision, and this makes sense because I'm a seer, I, I see visions all the time. I see God just shows me things, visions all the time. But the, one of the first ones I remember was seven years old on this night, November 30th. And the vision I saw was, it was Jesus dying on the cross. And I saw it like a movie reel, like a, like a movie was playing in front of me. And I saw the blood coming down and I just saw, and actually, the more I talk to people, many people have had this experience where the first thing, this first experience they remember about God was one in which they saw Jesus dying on the cross the reason why that happens is because when you're seeing something spiritually you know things that your mind can't calculate and as i saw jesus dying on the cross in this vision that i saw i just knew he was doing it because he loved me without even without like having that said to me or having that like rehearsed or anything Just what I was seeing, I knew he was doing that for me and for people. And I actually began to cry. And I literally began to worship God in that moment. No one prompted me. Just based on what I saw and what I understood, I just began to love God. And (laughs) as a seven-year-old and then eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old me, when most people would choose Do the wrong thing. I was one of those weird, odd kids who I would really consider, really consider if I was going to do the wrong thing. And one of the ways I would do that is think about the Lord like what the Lord did for me on that day 2,000 years ago, dying on the cross for my sins. That's still a factor. Actually, that's the factor. It's not what mom or dad say, it's not because I went to so many church services. Uh, I could have went to many fewer than what I did. Can I just say that? Is that okay to say? I wish I had gone to many fewer church service than what I did. I wish I had spent more time with family. We we pretty much spent all our time at church or watching TV at home. We could have done so much more with our lives. But anyway, what prompts me even to this day is knowing how much Jesus loves me and what he did for me. But our relationship has grown beyond that vision i saw on november 30th 2000 i mean uh, 1993 our, our our relationship has grown because the lord jesus has continued to match me moment for moment every moment i spend with him in prayer or just honoring him or just loving him and just saying lord i thank you for the things i know you've done he matches that with more of his goodness And even if I don't do it, he still is so good. On my best day, God shows me how good he is. On my worst day, he does. He shows me how good he is. And the way he does it is through communicating with my heart. One thing that You'll find is when you begin to be in a relationship with someone, you start to learn the way they talk. God is a spirit, but that doesn't mean he doesn't communicate. You have a spirit. We're going to cover that in another podcast. But he speaks to your heart. He speaks to your spirit. And the more you learn his voice, you get to understand how he highlights things to you. He does it every day to me. He will speak to me. Through different things I see, I know, or I hear in my heart. He highlights those things. Let me give you a quick story. I I recently told one of my coworkers this story. And um, it's just so powerful. I don't know why I don't share it more. But there was a particular day, I think this was 2007, I want to say. No. uh, 2006. 2006. Um, and I had about 50 bucks to my name and I remember praying one morning and I felt God saying in my heart, Kenneth, don't eat until I feed you. I was like, man, that's a hard word. <laughs> you know, I had done fasting from, you know, intermittent fasting here and there, uh, throughout my entire life. Um, I had done like a, a one day fast pretty often. I'd done, um, a fast from from midnight to 4 p.m. the next day, every Wednesday for most of my life, and I had done some two-day, three-day fasts, but never was I. But all of that was planned. Never was I put on a fast by God to say, you know, don't eat until I feed you. But I felt God was saying that in my heart, and I'm like, whoa, that's a challenge. And then I throw up, open my Bible just to a random place in the Bible, and I begin to read. And it talked about right the, like where I laid my eyes randomly opening the Bible was a scripture about how Jesus was saying, he's saying, don't I feed the birds of the air? And don't I clothe the lilies of the field? How much more will I take care of you? I believe it was in Matthew chapter 6. And I was like, okay, that's confirmation. So what I did is I took the $50 that I had. I split it up into fives. And I mailed the $5 bill, one to each member of my family. One of my mom, my dad, my brother, my auntie, grandma, different people that I just, I just wrote out an envelope, put the five bucks in and mailed it all out. And that's the way, this is called faith. Like that is not logical. Like for what reason would I mail my money away? Because I hear God say, I'm going to feed you. So don't eat. But, you know, that's how my faith, that's what I felt in my spirit. My spirit just got charged by that word and I just started believing in it. And I believed it to the point that I wanted to put some action behind my faith. So what I felt to do was just mail my money away because God's got it taken care of. And that really is a kingdom principle, by the way. This podcast, The Kingdom Podcast, here's a principle I want to lay down right now. When God gives you a word and you know it's him, here's the principle. You won't have to do anything to make it come to fruition. If God says, I'm going to do something. Oh, he's going to do it. I mean, you can put, you can bet your life. (laughs) He is going to do what he tells you he's going to do. Even if you totally screw up. If he said, I'm going to do X, X is happening. No matter what situation you're in. Even if you end up in hell, he's still going to visit you in hell and do X. If he said he was going to do it. There's no way to screw it up. So God said, I'm going to feed you. And I was like, cool. I'm giving my money away then. God's got me. Now, after about <laughs> six or seven hours, I started getting really hungry. And I wanted to do something to distract myself. I'm like, look, I don't know how this is going to happen. Like my mind started kicking in. Sometimes you go from faith and you're, you go from a, a level of faith and then the thoughts, you know, logic starts to kick in and my mind starts going, okay, first of all, how is God going to do this? What mechanism is God going to use to do this? How improbable is this? Like, what are you even thinking right now? Your mind starts to kick in and you have to tell your mind, first of all, shut up. I'm not listening to you. And I said, okay, let me distract myself. I was, um, in that season trying to purchase a car and I needed to get a driver's license. So I drove, I took the bus, um, I think I had a bus card and maybe a few dollars still left on me and use that money to um, to go get the bus to uh, go to the DMV. So I go to the DMV, I wait in line and I get up, you know, my turn comes up and I get in front of this guy. His name is Ron. Get in front of Ron. And uh, this is like my first time at the DMV. So I didn't know it cost money um, to get your uh, license renewed or, And he says, Hey, you know, it costs $20, right? And I said, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. He said, look, that's okay. You don't have it. Let me do, let me say this. Why don't you come back tomorrow and we'll get you taken care of. I said, okay. So I went back home that night. I had a great time of worship with God. I just didn't allow negative thoughts to come into my mind and um, did some prayer and scripture. And the next day I got up early and got on the bus. And headed back to the DMV. I waited, and um, Ron noticed me, and I got back up to Ron. And I remember now that this was around December of 2006 because of some of the things I remember Ron saying. Um, Ron asked me some questions before we even got into the business of the license. He said, you know, what are you doing for Christmas? I said, well, i not really doing anything. Uh, my family lives in a different place. I'm kind of here in this college town by myself, got some roommates, but they all do kind of different things. We live different lifestyles. He said, okay, that's interesting. He said so. Well, you know, I I wanted to do something for you when I noticed you yesterday. It was just something interesting about you. And he says, "Um, look, it takes $20 to do the license. I'm going to pay that for you. But not only that, um, I just want to bless you with $50. He handed me a $50 bill. This man, Ron, At the DMV, I mean, notorious for employing all of the mean people in the world. This dude I never met at the DMV pays for my license and gives me $50 and then follows it up with this. He suggests, hey, why don't you go get yourself something across the street at at the store? I said, well, thanks so much. And so I get my license. I walk out of there, go across the street. It was actually a dollar journal. And, um, as I'm walking through the aisle, looking at the materials, I've got $50. It starts hitting me because God starts speaking to me. He says, now you can eat. (laughs) I just replaced the $50 that you gave away. (laughs) I literally dropped to my knees in aisle number, I don't know, aisle number six of the Dollar General, and just begin to worship God. This is what I meant when I said earlier, to know him is to love him, and to love him is to worship him. I did not have to think for a split second what my response would be when I realized that God had put me on this journey of trusting him, and I just dropped down and just began to just thank God. That's, that's what worship is. Just, I just begin to thank him. Because he was so unbelievably good in that moment. Now, I don't know if you're gonna believe it or not. I'm a true, I'm a true witness to these things, so I wouldn't make it up. If you ever want to ask anyone about these stories, you can ask my wife. You can email her. Uh, gloriawoodard30 at gmail.com. Uh, Or you can email me, thescholarshipman at gmail.com. Everything I'm going to say is true about this. That was a foundational moment that I had with God, led by faith in Jesus. I mean, it was the word of Jesus in the Bible that I just took to heart. What makes the story so good, folks, is that (laughs) when I got back home, when I got back home I had a check I had a uh, a series of envelopes that I had made each with $5 in it You see because in my haste I had put the return address in the wrong spot of the email and I put the my address in the send to part of the email, of the mail you know the snail mail the mail that I wrote for my family members to get the $5, I put my address where it was supposed to go for their address. So when I get home, not only did someone bless me with $50, but I blessed myself with $50. Now I didn't send that $50 back out to family members. I kept it and I went on about my business. I made some, I think I made beet, beet soup that night or something. I can't remember. Um, but I was abundantly blessed by God and by myself. <laughs> accidentally. And I ended up with more money, double, double the money in two days. I doubled my income in two days just by trusting God. But I also made a friend and Ron and I became friends. He, he would take me to Denny's and we would chat. He was this older white guy who just, you know, just took an interest in me. And we would talk and he would share advice and um, I lost touch with Ron. I don't know where he is now. Uh, I think he moved out of town, but uh, that that turned into a friendship. And I would share some of these stories I'm telling you right now with Ron as a friend. I would just talk about the Lord. And uh, I don't even know if Ron was a Christian. Actually, I just, I don't think he was. But I would just share about God, just like I'm doing with you right now, whether Christian or not Christian. And I can tell you, uh, we'll get into it in future podcasts, but that was a foundational moment for me in trusting God. He doubled my income. But there have been times where I trusted God and gave my money away. And literally, the next day, I saw my, my, my income double. And, and, it, and I didn't have $50 at the time. I'm talking about I was getting paid $38,000, $29,000, $30,000. And I trusted God and gave a large gift away. My wife and I agreed on it. We felt God to give this large gift away. And it was the majority of all of our savings money. And the next day I got a call and it was a it was an offer to actually move my income from I think it was at twenty-nine or thirty thousand dollars at the time. And then, and then I got an offer the next day after we made that gift to go to 53000 something like that. That was a one-day turnaround. That's not even, I don't even know, think that's the craziest. It's not. That's just one example. And it's not all about money. I guess I talk about money in these examples, not because I'm focused on money, but that's, I think because, here's here's what it is. Because I'm not too focused on money, some of the craziest miracles that I've seen in my life had to do with money. And I think it's because God trusts me with money. If I was a different kind of person where money was more of a, a vice, my, my, my stories might have to do more with how God has done other things. Like maybe restore family members or uh, maybe heal broken bones or, or other things. But a lot of my stories have to do with how God's blessed me financially because I think that's an area, not only an area where he trusts me, but it has to do with what he's written about me before I was born. And and I don't want to suggest at all that the reason I serve God is because of money. That's not what I'm saying. It just happens to be some of the things that I mentioned. Um, You know, one of the things, the, the most powerful miracle I've ever seen in my life, obviously, is my wife and I praying over my daughter's dead body and her coming back to life i'll share that in a future podcast that's the most mirac- miraculous thing that's ever happened and um and i saw it with my two eyes and um i have the medical records to show i have the the footage the videos and even um things that i can prove if anybody ever wanted proof i have it in spades about my daughter coming back to life But I didn't start loving Jesus when that happened. I loved him before that. I trusted him before that. I heard his voice before that. I built a relationship before that. A lot of times people get into a crisis and they try so hard to hear God's voice. And what I've told people is that you probably want to have a relationship with God prior to the crisis. It's not that he won't show up in the crisis, he always does. But it's hard to hear God because of you, not because of him, when you get into a crisis. Because you have the crisis and the trauma from the crisis weighing on you. And then you're straining to hear the voice of God amidst all the voices in your life, in your soul, in your mind. And you're trying to sift through in a way that you really haven't mastered before. But if you master sifting through the distracting voices of the devil, of yourself, and of people who don't have the right spirit, Uh, and they're giving you advice, if you don't know how to sift through those voices and hear the voice of God before the trauma, it does become difficult to hear God during the trauma. And so I'm not saying that, again, I'm not saying that the reason I serve God is as an an insurance policy uh, against bad things or traumatic things happening so I can hear his voice and know how to navigate. That's not what I'm saying at all. Because I would tell you this, Um, there have been times, even for me, even with the relationship I do have with God, that I get into a traumatic event and it's so hard to hear God even steal. And and that's okay because sometimes God doesn't, he doesn't, the way he is, he says just what he needs to say. Sometimes he won't say a lot to you because he's already told you what to do and you just haven't done the last thing he said. (laughs) And so there's no pattern strategy to figure God out. You just got to trust him. It's all about trust, but I don't love him and worship him and serve him out of an insurance policy for what might go wrong. I'm not worried about what might go wrong. I don't have a worry about that. I legit don't worry about things going wrong. I just, it's not a thing. It's not a thing for me because I have found, remember I talked about in the last podcast, my underlying foundational structural hope in life is that I know God is with me no matter what. And so that carries me through whatever bad thing will happen. In fact, I, I strongly believe in, in Romans 8, 28, that, that no matter what happens, God will turn it around for my good, even if it's bad. He'll make it good because he because I love him and, and because my, my hope is in him. And so this is just a brief kind of precursor for why I love God. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode of The Kingdom Podcast why I am a Christian, and uh, if you ever have questions, feel free to email me. I would love to hear from you. God bless everyone. Hello, faithful listeners. This is the Kingdom Podcast. I hope you're ready for another episode where we're going to be looking into the inner workings of the soul. The soul is a part of you that is super important to learn about and to know. Uh, I think you'll be fascinated to know just how much activity is going on in your soul. You may refer to it as your conscience, which is fine, um, but there's so much activity going on there and it is part of the reason why we can really see the need for the kingdom. And so we're going to explore the soul through a thought experiment called the 30-hour fast. So stay tuned, stay with us as we jump into this episode of the Kingdom Podcast, The Inner Workings of the Soul. So if we could separate your body, soul, and spirit and have each part have a conversation with each other, it would be super interesting to observe what those conversations would be like. Oftentimes, your physical body just wants what it wants. Your soul, your conscience, will debate with your body to say, hey, we can't have this right now, or we can't have that much of this right now. But then your spirit, if it is active, will give you suggestions from the spirit realm. If you're someone who is in the kingdom, you'll get suggestions from God about how to approach different things in your life. And then that gets submitted to your soul and it comes from your soul into your conscious mind as wisdom from God. And then you can carry out the wisdom from God in your body. So those are the three parts, but we're going to focus mostly on the soul today. Let's say that you are asked to do a 30 hour fast. When I was in high school, um, there was an event we did every year with World Vision called the 30-hour famine. So I literally have done this and it is difficult, especially when you're a teenager and you're used to eating Pop-Tarts all the time, which is my, that was my guilty pleasure back in high school, Pop-Tarts and Pepsi. Um, But let's do a thought experiment. Let's say that you are asked to do a 30-hour fast, meaning no food for over a day and it's for a world hunger benefit organization. The desire to do that comes from, from only one place, and that's your soul. Either in your soul you want to do something like that or you don't. Your soul is where you have all of your do- desires. Your desires originate from your soul. They develop in your soul, and they live there. Now, the suggestion or, or an idea to participate in a fast can come from many places, but, you know, it can come from a friend. It could come from a principal or teacher or parent. Um, let's say in this case, a friend invites you to do this 30 hour fast and, you know, you're you're down for it, but you realize it can be kind of hard not eating for 30 hours. Now, your mind is going to be really activated over the course of this 30-hour f- famine, your desires are going to be activated. They may shift from from wanting to do the fast to not wanting to do the fast. You're going to go through a lot of changes. Um, your soul will begin asking itself, "Do I really want to do this? Um, do I really care about this World Health Organization as much uh, as denying food for 30 hours?" Let's say the answer is no. Your mind will immediately start working on a response to decline your friend's offer and say, hey, you know what? This is not for me. But if there is some kind of a desire there to support this benefit organization, then your mind will start to think of a response to get involved or maybe and ask more questions. Now, remember, your soul is a combination of your mind, the way you think about things, your will, you know, your active will to actually want to do something, And then your emotions, the feelings that go into what you want to do. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Emotions include your desires, what you want to do, what you don't want to do, how much of something you want, how quickly you want it. All of that has to do with your desires and your soul. Let's imagine that you're going throughout the process of this 30 hour fast. You said yes, you're there with your friend and everybody's talking and and learning more about world health. And in the course of this event, let's say within the first 10 hours, you really start to get hungry. Your stomach starts turning flips and your body is slowly getting cold and and, and, and you almost feel yourself burning through fat reserves, right? (laughs) This is when your will starts getting into the conversation. Your soul, the will, of your soul starts to say, can I really push through this? Can I do this or shall I call it quits? Self, what are we going to do? And this is the conscience. This is the conversation that you're having in your soul. You really have to, from moment to moment, evaluate. Do I want to keep going when it really gets tough? Let's say you push through after that first 10 hours. You say, you know what? I can keep doing it. And then a few hours go by, And you stick your hand into your coat because let's say you put your coat on just to get warm because you're starting to get cold. You put your coat on and you stick your hand into your coat and you feel that there's something there and you remember your mind jumps on this idea of what's in your pocket because it's a Snickers bar. You know, the Snickers bar has a Snickers Satisfies. I drew a little graphic of that for this podcast. It says Snickers satisfies. And you're thinking all of a sudden, here's an opportunity for me to get some food in this belly. I have been suffering. I've done 15 hours of this 30-hour fast, and I just need something in my belly. So now you have a a moral dilemma. You are going to have to figure out what's right or wrong for you. And, And that's what a moral dilemma is. Morals means having to do with right and wrong. And if your will isn't strong enough to execute on what's right, you will cave. Your will can be either very strong or your will can be very weak. And so when you get to this point, it's like, what will I do? You're debating this. And you've probably had this same debate with other things where you're in a moment of decision and you're trying to sift through really quickly is this something I really want to do? What are the consequences? Is this right? Am I being true to myself? So here it is. You're asking these questions, but then the thought comes to you because we all have a sin nature. It's just the way it works. We we sometimes think about ways to, to commit sin, to do something that's not right. And so you think, well, I could take this Snickers bar, hide it behind my back, walk out casually to the parking lot or or walk out casually to the hallway or to a bathroom stall, eat the Snickers, come back in, and no one will even be the wiser. And so the the moral dilemma even increases. And so you wonder, is this the right thing to do? This has everything to do with your mind, will, and emotions. What would you do in the situation? What would you do? Would you continue? Would you, would you have the willpower to continue to keep going with that fast? Or would you stop it, eat that Snickers bar? Would you eat the Snickers bar and fess up to people and say, hey, I'm getting hungry. I'm just going to do this. Is that how you work or would you do it in secret? I ask these questions because I want you to evaluate the way your soul works. I want to paint a picture for you. The soul, everyone's soul is different. Everyone has different strengths. You may be someone who your soul is set up to be very patient. And so you can suffer pain longer maybe than the average person. Or maybe you are someone who's just genuinely kind. And so when people are angry or mad at you, you can get over it pretty easily. Maybe you're a forgiving person. But maybe you're kind of an angry person in your soul. Maybe you tend towards anger more than the other person. Or you t- tend towards caving to temptation more than the most pers- other person. That all has to do with the makeup of your soul. And the thing with the soul is that if you don't develop it, it will continue to fracture more and more and more. Let's say... That this person, that that this person at this 30-hour fast eats the Snickers bar. They eat the Snickers bar in the bathroom. And the next year, they get invited to the 30-hour famine. And this time, instead of going 15 hours, they go 13 hours. And they eat something. They find something to eat. They sneak off to the vending machine. And then the next year, they bring a candy bar with them just in case because now they're feeling like they're a failure. And within 10 hours, they've already eaten that candy bar. But no one knows. Let's say they fail at the 30-hour famine 10 times over the course of 10 years. What that does to the soul is it almost convinces you inside of yourself that you can't do it, that you're a failure in that area. And so you begin to resist your own self by planning for your own failure. But let's put a twist on this story. Let's say That after 10 years, one of the coaches or participants or leaders of this benefit organization says, hey, you've been coming for 10 years and you've done this 30-hour famine for 10 years straight. We want to invite you to be a part of our leadership council and to teach other people how to be successful with a 30-hour fast. In fact, we want you to start writing curriculum for us. And we even want you to announce your tips and strategies this year on the stage. (laughs) What a whole different ball game now. Because now you have to decide if you're going to be honest about your failure or if you're going to let this stuff happen, if you're going to let it go. Are you going to be honest? What would you do? So this gets back to the build up of the soul. If your soul has been built up in the area of honesty and integrity, even if you're not built up in self-control, which by the way, This ability to fast for 30 hours has to do with the self-control, the will of your soul. But let's say you're a very integral and honest person. This will be an opportunity for you to fess up and confess and say, you know what, I've been coming here for 10 years, but I usually do pop something in my mouth or eat something because I just can't do the talk. I haven't been able to do the 30 hours, but I won't say I can't. Just that level of confession, inviting someone into your failure, actually breaks down your the, your failure rate. It actually opens you up to be successful in an area that you weren't before. That's why actually confession works even if you're a spiritual person or not. Just being honest with other people about your journey and where you've done well and where you failed, it can really be a helpful thing. Because then you open yourself up to advice. It's not a secret anymore. That fractured part of your soul, it can. It's like it's seeking ground. It's seeking help. But let's take the opposite situation. Let's say that you continue to hide this thing. You keep it a secret, and you agree to be on stage and to write curriculum and tell people how great you are with this thirty-hour fast. That will actually lead to almost a multiplication. Of destruction in your soul. So where your self-control has been uh, damaged, now your your ability to harness honesty, integrity, and truth is going to be damaged. And all of these moral characteristics are a part of your soul. Your soul comes with a certain level of a belief and value and self-control and integrity and honesty and all the virtues and values that you can think of your soul comes with that justice, equity, your soul comes with those things, but those things have to be uh, located. They have to be developed. They have to actually grow. They have to be mentored into growth. And and I would even add from a kingdom perspective, if you really want those efforts, if you really want those values to grow to, um, to great heights, then you need a spiritual component. You need the truth of God to really build those areas, but we'll talk about that in a future podcast when we talk more about the spirit. Right now, we're just focusing on the soul, but I want to wrap this up just by telling you kind of the differences. Your your spirit is very interesting. The spirit man is it's almost like raw power, and, and just to give you a little context into what the spirit has to do with all of this, is that if your spirit is very, very, very alive and powerful, you can actually draw strength from your spirit to empower your mind, will, and emotions. When your spirit is really, really alive, you think better, your emotions are stronger, and your desires, your your willpower is even stronger. You have more control over your soul and body when your spirit is truly, truly alive. Now, the spirit has to be alive in in the same, um, I would say, frequency of the positivity that you want your soul to produce, because the soul can actually be alive in a negative way, and and so can the spirit. Your spirit can actually attract. Um, to put it in not a New Age way, but just a way that I think most people understand, your spirit can be emanating a a negative energy or a positive energy. To put it in spiritual terms, it could be emanating the the positive energy, which is the glory of God, or it can be emanating the negative dark energy, which is from the kingdom of the devil, Satan. Uh, Both have energy, but one is light and one is darkness. And by the way, they're not equal to each other. Every time that I see a movie or a show or a cartoon or or a comic that tries to put darkness on par or on level or on course with uh, with God's power it's laughable <laughs> it really is uh, because Jesus said this in Luke chapter 10 verse 13 I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning uh, and that was because the devil tried to uh, with his dark ideas. Come against God and try to replace God. He was going to try to play king of the mountain with God. Well, that went nowhere very fast. In fact, as fast as lightning. And so there is no comparison to the power, the love, the light, and the peace of God. Um, There's no comparative case in Satan's kingdom. Not at all. Uh, That's just the truth. But that doesn't mean that you as a person can't be influenced in your spirit by the powers of darkness. And that's, that's a reality. But the saving grace in all of this is that you in your spirit can be enlightened and, and graced with the magnificent loving power of God. And that can power your soul to do better and more things than you ever have. There are fights that I used to have with myself. When I think about, um, when I first, um, really, uh, considered coming off of alcohol. So I was some person that drank alcohol every day. I was getting to be an alcoholic. If I wasn't already there, I drank morning. I, I drank noon and night, not morning, but I drank probably by noon. I had a drink in my hand. And then by night, uh, this is around like the 2004, 2005 time when I was a college dropout. And then I went back to college and I, I got kicked out of college. Um, uh, I really had a rough time in my, um, 19 18 1920s 19, and i was also uh, addicted to pornography i was also addicted to cigarettes um and and not only just those you know existential um addictions but then i had some i had some uh, addictions in the way i thought i just had a terrible thinking uh, a mindset uh, you know i was often angry and jealous and proud very proud um and these were mental addictions that I had. But the thing was, I came to God one day when I, when I wanted to come back to God because I started off as a Christian at age seven and I left God in college and I wanted to come back. And one of the first questions I had for God was, how can I even like start a conversation with you if I know I'm going to go back home and drink and probably smoke and do other things? And the answer God gave me was so powerful. What I began to feel was my spirit, my spirit, man, not my body, not my soul. But in my spirit, I began to feel like God was pouring his love, like liquid love into my spirit. And it started to empower my soul. And all of a sudden in my mind, I felt a confidence that I could go home and not drink and not do any drugs or not smoke cigarettes or anything, not watch pornography again. I felt so empowered. It was supernatural. I literally went home after that day. That was September 21st of 2006. Went home that day and I threw away the porn tapes. I threw away, I think I might've flushed my cigarettes. I, um, which I wouldn't recommend. I, I don't know if that stuff is, uh, uh, good. Just put in the garbage, right? Soak them and put in the garbage. Um, and I had lots of beer in the fridge. I didn't touch it. My roommates drank it. I when I when I quit pornography, drinking, smoking, drugs, and a lot of the bad mindsets that I had. It wasn't a seven-step program. I quit it all in one night. And it's because my spirit man began to be filled with the love and glory of God. And that empowered me to make the right decisions in my soul, the right decisions in my mind, will, and emotions. My my willpower gained supernatural strength that I didn't naturally have. And that's why this is so important for, for you to know. The soul literally gets bombarded with decisions every day. Now, some people are have really mastered their soul, even outside of any spiritual help or guide, it's possible to really master your soul. And and the way you do that is every time there's a challenge to your soul to actually do the wrong thing or the right thing, you choose the right thing. You you will yourself, you with your willpower, you will yourself into doing the right thing. And you actually, it's almost like a game. You gain points. Like you gain strength in your soul, in your conscience to say, yes, my moral willpower, I can do this. And so another temptation comes and you get stronger because you say, I can do this. The natural um, end to that is though, the natural end to that is that there will be things That come where your will fails you. There will be things that come where your will fails you. And the way I know that is because especially if you begin to consider God and his kingdom, you almost get like a target on your back where the enemy starts giving these powerful temptations. And the only way to overcome those temptations is by the power of god and is through the blood of jesus christ that's the only way i know in fact it's an absolute truth that's the only way there is to overcome those temptations now for a lot of people you can say hey kenneth i have never had a temptation that i haven't failed at well (laughs) i i would challenge you probably on that but but let's assume Let's assume that's the case. I know that there are people who don't really get challenged in their soul because they're not seeking God. Because the devil knows that he can overpower you if he wanted to. Um, And for many people, he's just not going to provoke it. It's just, you know, it wouldn't be wise to waste, you know, Satan's smart enough not to waste his energy Uh, at least not to waste too much energy on people who aren't seeking God. But if you ever wanted to know if the devil was real, (laughs) start trying to find God and his truth and his realness. I have experienced this with people time and time again. The moment they become open to the idea of God, their, their world just starts to really turn into a test. And they find out how strong they really are. And if they find out they're not that strong, that's okay. I mean, it's really not a scary thing or a weird thing or a problematic thing. It's okay. Because it's just evidence that you can't do it all by yourself. And you need God. Now, that's something that's just the truth. And I know that. And you hopefully will find that. But literally being put to the test by the devil will show you that you need God. It's not scary. Like, you'll be fine. But I would challenge you to start seeking the Lord and trying to honor the Lord with your decisions, with your mind, with your will and emotions. Try to go a whole day without thinking a bad thought. Think about the Ten Commandments you know, you won't steal, you won't kill, you won't uh, covet your neighbor's wife, you won't. Um, Uh, Be jealous of anyone. You won't think a a negative, blasphemous thought towards someone. You won't slander them in your mind. You won't curse someone behind their back or backstab them or or even um, slander them with your words behind their back. Try to go a whole day with with being uh, a good, a really good moral individual. Just try to hold your own standard a whole day and see how you do. You'll find that it's really difficult without God. (laughs) It's really difficult without God, and so I hope this is a uh, good information f- for you. It's the it, talking about the soul. One thing with the soul, and I learned this from Kat Kerr, who is uh, a really powerful and amazing, um, amazing woman, amazing Christian. Uh, she often talks about how your soul is, is almost, um, she I think she calls like a carburetor where it collects everything that you see, hear, touch, know. Your soul just collects all this information. is and, and the more garbage you take in, you, you really will send garbage out. And it's similar to what Jesus said, I believe, in Matthew 25, where he said, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever you, you know, whatever's inside of you, whatever you dwell on or think about a lot, it really is what defines you. It's, it's what comes out of your mouth. And so, you know, back in my older days, and college days, I was in a fraternity. And, I mean, it was disgusting, but these, you know, the frat... They always talked about girls and, and like these kind of really scandalous and, and weird um, way of talking about uh, females. And it was not a good way to think. But after being in that situation and an environment for so long, you you just start talking like that. You know, now I'm at a I'm at a place in a, where none of that stuff is around me. I, I really do my best to limit any kind of negative or garbage thinking um, and um that's, and so it's, it's extremely rare, rare for even a thought, a, a negative thought about anyone um, to, to come into my mind. It's just not, it's just a rare thing uh, because I've built my life around really focusing on the love of God and positive thinking. And so once you've done that for like 15 years, it, it shifts the way your mind works and you can do that. You can, this is what I talked about earlier. The development of your mind into positive, honest, integral way of thinking, way of feeling. Um, some people, even with their feelings, they dwell on misery. And so it's no surprise they always feel miserable. And I'm not shaking a stick at people who have clinical things going on with that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you can dwell, you can choose to dwell on misery or you can choose to dwell on what brings you joy. And that is a choice. Well, I can't go too much on this because it'll become a, a one hour podcast very quickly. But I hope this was a blessing to you. I hope uh, you think really closely about what you would do in this 30 hour fast and how that relates to other temptations you've had or are having right now. We'd love to hear from you. You can uh, chat me through Instagram or Facebook. Uh, If this was a blessing to you, please give it five stars and subscribe to the Kingdom Podcast. This has been your host and the episode, The Inner Workings of the Soul. Hope to see you here again soon.